So last week we were in Genesis 15, so the nice thing about the grove is you know where we're going to be this morning. Open your Bibles up to Genesis chapter 16. We move through the Bible verse by verse, we go chapter by chapter, we go precept upon precept, and I like to do that so that way you have an understanding of how the Bible all fits together instead of just pulling out topics. You know, every topic that you want to hear about is somewhere in Scripture. But if I jump around and just go preach on topics, you'll never really know how it fits in to, uh, into the Bible as a whole. I've been asked, why don't you talk some more about the grace covenant and about the law covenant? And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today, because that is the picture that Paul uses in Galatians to explain what the whole deal is about Abraham and Hagar. Y'all know the story about Hagar and Abraham and Sarah, really, I call this helping God out. How many in here think you can do a great job helping God out? Tim, that's why, Tim, your life is a disaster, because you're trying to help God out. Just teasing, Tim's life is not a disaster. But Abraham's life became a disaster. The wheels came off when he decided, man, we just got to help God out. God made that promise we heard last week. Genesis 15, he said, Abraham, I'm going to do all of this for you, give you a land, give you, give you an heir. And then time went by. He waited, and he waited, and he waited some more. And so much of the Christian life is about waiting, isn't it? And if I sit and pause right now for 30 seconds, it'll get real weird in here. You go, what's wrong? Is he having a stroke? Is something happening? We just want to get to it, don't we? But we're not going to do that today. Lord, I just pray that we would take this odd passage in the Bible, and Lord, that we would understand in your word that you don't need our help. And Lord, that you have a plan for each of us. You have promises. And Lord, you do not intend for us to walk out those promises in the flesh. Lord, you intend for them to be fruits of the Spirit, to be born out of your Holy Spirit, guiding us, and Lord, so just show us what you want to show us out of this chapter of the Bible, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the big idea last week was is that when God entered into a covenant with Abraham, God did it all. If you weren't here, we heard, I know our honeymooners were not here, welcome back, that we learned last week that when the covenant happened, the Abrahamic covenant, Abraham was put in under anesthesia, as my daddy used to say. He was in a coma. He was in a deep sleep or something, but he could sit and watch as God did all of the performing, where God appeared as the smoking pot and went down through the middle of these separated animals. And God promised things to Abraham, and there's nothing, this is real important to hear, there's nothing that Abraham could do or not do to nullify the promises of God. That is the picture of grace. Many of us, we, we know that, and I don't talk much about being a Baptist church, but one of the things I love about the Baptist church is one of our core beliefs is that salvation is by grace alone. It is by grace that you're saved. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should what? boast. We have nothing to boast about. Another corollary to that is we don't keep our salvation by works either. We don't have to be good enough. We don't have to bake enough cookies 
Kathy, to make sure that we stay on the road to heaven, when we have the true commitment to the Lord by grace, receiving the grace, that's it. And then we work that out, Ephesians 2.10 tells us, by good works that God foreordained for you and me. He created them before the beginning of time. And that, that's really to bless us so we can walk in the Spirit. So today we're going to see that Abraham really messed up. Remember I told you all last week, I said, now listen, guys, this is all feels real good today and warm, but Abraham's going to mess up big time. And Sarah messed up big time. And guess what? God's purposes still were worked out. That reminds us we might suffer consequences of our own sin and our own erring and our own getting off of the way God intends for things to be. But in the end of time, God's going to work his purposes out as time draws near. So if you have your Bible open, it's Genesis chapter 16. You can see up there, this is helping God out, yet Abraham cannot nullify God's grace. Lessons from the story of Sarah and Hagar, and we got to add in Abraham as well. Now, Sarai, he wasn't called Sarah yet, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. I'm going to put a picture of Hagar up right now. There's Sarah. We have to remember that at this time, Sarah was about 75 years old, okay? She looks like a young 75 there, but she was not looking at the maternity ward thinking there was much hope that she was going to have a child. And she looked over and she saw that she had this Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and she's going to offer Hagar to Abraham. It's interesting because barrenness is a recurring theme. Did y'all realize that it, I can think of three out of maybe four of the matriarchs were barren, remember? So we see Sarah is barren. She can't have a child, and it's a, of great distress to her. But Rebecca couldn't have a child either, remember? And then who couldn't either? Rachel, exactly. Leah or uh, Jacob's, uh, the baby sister of Leah, let's just put her that way one of Laban's daughters, she was also barren, and it was a great disgrace and a great complication in a woman's life when she was not able to bear children. Verse 2, so Sarai said to Abram, see now, the Lord has restrained me. Uh-oh, she's blaming God, all right? God promised this, but now God's restraining me, Abram, from bearing children. What's the solution? I'm going to help God out. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. It's a strange thing to think that she would offer her husband to this other woman, but she did. We notice, first off, that she's saying that God prevented her, so we see that blaming goes on. But it's interesting because she didn't even call her by name here. She says, the Lord restrained me from bearing children. Go into, she didn't say go into Hagar. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. She felt she was superior to Hagar in every way. Sarai did. She, yet she had this problem where she couldn't bear children. And uh, she denigrates her, I think, away in this passage by calling her, just go into my maid, have a child by her, and then I'm going to have this child for my own. Now, y'all may, may go, wow, this is really, really weird. I'm going to tell you that 2000 BC we're talking, this is 4,000 years ago, this was not uncommon. 
It was the way that society kind of worked where a woman that was barren could take her maid and she would give it to her husband and he would have a child by that, that maid. And then the, the maid would essentially give up that child and it would become the child of the barren wife. This was around 2000 BC that this is happening, maybe 2050 BC. And about 250 years later, this was codified into law. Now, have any of y'all ever heard of the Hammurabi Code? If you hadn't, I'm going to show it to you there today. You can take a screenshot, go home and read that. I don't know what language that's in. It's probably ancient cuneiform of some kind. But there was a King Hammurabi who was an Amorite who was king of a city-state, which we now know as Babylon, okay? And he was there, and he was ruling, and he ruled from 1810 B.C. to 1750. And what he did is he codified what was their common law, you might call it. And we do the same thing. We have common law, and then we codify it, we codify it in statutes that we have. Statutes about, you know, that are they're in our criminal, uh, criminal law statute or in our civil law statute. He codified that, and we can read what he said in these. And he talks about the customs that they had back then. It's, it's really super interesting. And if you think about this in terms of the way some couples today will try to have a child with a surrogate mother, do you all know what that means? They'll take the sperm and the egg and they have in vitro, that means in glass fertilization, they put it in a test tube. You're learning more about all this probably than you need to know or that you know. But anyway, then they would put this in, they put it inside of a woman who is a surrogate mother. So I think maybe it wasn't just the idea of getting her husband to cheat on her, but it was the idea of having a surrogate mother that would have this child. <clears throat> and then the text tells us there, says, please go into my maid and perhaps I'll obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Now, Abram was listening to Sarai's voice, but guess whose voice Abraham wasn't listening to? He wasn't listening to God's voice. So I would say, men, probably most of the time, it's a good idea to listen to your wives. I don't, I don't want to get executed, summarily executed when I leave today. Sandy usually has great advice for me. I'm attentive. I listen. But if I think there's some, if a man feels there's some advice that really is contrary and not in line with Scripture, he ought to be listening to the Lord and not listening to his wife. But maybe Abram wanted to just keep his wife happy. Remember the thing about if, if uh, what is it, if the wife's happy, life's happy, or Happy wife, happy life. I, I like to say happy spouse, happy house, because that kind of includes us men as well. But anyway, Abram was listening to her instead of God's voice, and he was about to dig himself into a big hole. Let's look at verse 3. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, and gave her, gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. Okay, the Hebrew there is Isha. He actually gives Hagar to be Abram's wife. And it's kind of a complication in the whole matter because it's not just going to be this handmaid by whom he has a child, but actually she gives Hagar to Abram as a wife, okay? And, uh, and not a concubine. Some of the translations said concubine like the older King James, but in fact it is a wife. So I guess it's understandable from human aspect or the a human viewpoint that Abram was walking by what? Sight and not by faith. That's kind of an underlying theme in here. Abram and Sarah are going to walk 
by sight instead of by faith. We're told last week we learned that we're to walk by faith and not by sight. So they had it turned around backwards, okay? But they had grown impatient. Maybe they had forgotten. I don't know how you could forget if God showed up and took you outside of a tent and said, look up into the stars if you can count them. So shall your descendants be. But some of us have great experiences with the Lord and we quickly forget it when we get in hardship, don't we? Suddenly we're in a crisis that's uh, maybe health crisis or it's a crisis financially and we suddenly think, you know, God says that he'll take care of all that stuff, but maybe he's not really taking care of this or maybe he wants me to do this or that. And it's right to pray about it and have direction, but we can get in real trouble when we're not listening to the Lord and when we're out here trying to do things in our own effort. So he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. So we have even a stranger thing going on where now Hagar conceives, she's pregnant with a child, and she begins to act in a loathsome, odious way to Sarai. Makes the whole place miserable. And it's complicated because she has given her to Abram as a wife. Now, I wanted to show you a piece of the Hammurabi Code. Actually, there's, there, he, there, there's, uh, there is Hagar being given to Abraham as a wife. She looks pretty Anglo-Saxon to me. But that's from some painting probably in Europe three or 400 years ago. Here's part of the Hammurabi Code, just because it's interesting to me. This is about 1800 BC. This was written. He shall not take a concubine if his wife has given a maid to her husband. So we see they weren't doing something that was totally as crazy as it seems when we first read it, right? But yet, I want to point out that this was the custom of the world. It didn't mean that it was God's desire for his people. And then going on to a paragraph 146 says, and if she has given a maid, this is what's going to happen, to her husband, and she has borne him children, which she's going to, and that maid has made or should make herself equal with her mistress, this is this situation, you see, Larry, where she's thinking, hey, not only am I equal, but I'm above Sarah. The mistress may reduce her to servitude again, but may not sell her. Curious little thing in the Hammurabi Code. I found that online, and I just thought, that's just too interesting to not put up. So we see a codification of actually what's going on in this fact situation, as we would say in law. We can kind of see how they were applying their facts to this law. Verse 5, then Sarai said to Abram, now he's going to blame Abram. She's going to blame Abram. My wrong be upon you. I gave my, 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 my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. So Sarah launches into the typical blame game. She's blaming not only Abram, and Abram did nothing but agreed to do it. And then She's blaming God because she says, God has made me where I'm barren. But she never looked to see what contribution she might have had to the whole problem, the whole mess. So she's taking it all out on others. And I wanted to just say it's a common behavior pattern, those who have studied psychology in here, that a person who is a perpetrator of abuse often blames the victim. All right. They'll blame them. Well, I had to beat you up because of X, Y, Z. Okay or that kind of thing. And so Sarah is the abuser here. She's kind of abused Abraham. He's, he's kind of a weakling here and hasn't stood up to her. 
She's abused Hagar, so Hagar is really the victim, and she's blaming Hagar as well. Six, so Abram said to Sarah, indeed, you're made. He didn't say, my wife who's named Hagar, does he? So he denigrates her as well, as I said in my written sermon, kind of throws her under the bus here. She's your maid and is in your hand. This is what Abram's saying. Do to her as you please. And we know the Hammurabi code says that he, she can make her a slave again, a servant. Okay. Do as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled. That's Hagar fled from her presence. So Abraham was abdicating. That means giving up his authority as the husband. He gave up. He should have put his foot down and said, no, Sarai, you know, I know you want to hurry this thing up. God promised it. Let's just wait. Let's believe that it's going to happen. But I think that he was joining her in his unbelief or in disbelief. He just figured, well, maybe I ate something that didn't agree with me. Maybe I dreamed all of that happened. I mean, I don't know, because he had a pretty fantastic, spectacular dream, right? But anyway, he was abdicating and delegating his authority over in this situation to her. And she heads for the hills. Verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord, and we will learn in verse 13 that the angel of the Lord is the very pre-incarnation of Jesus himself. All right? So this, in, this pre-incarnation, the angel of the Lord appears to her by a spring of water in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shur, S-H-U-R. I saw a funny meme that I couldn't find again. It was hilarious. It had the angel of the Lord talking to Hagar going, are you sure this is the way to Shur? She says, I'm sure. So anyway, it's one of those you had to be there. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid. So God doesn't, Bill, call her Abram's wife either. So we see there that God never intended for any of this to happen. He says, he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? I want to show you all something real interesting here. Sorry, that, I missed that. That is a, such a nice slide. All right, that's, that's, uh, that's Sarah looking disdainfully there at Hagar, who has a little bit of a proud look in her face. There's something going on there. We can see that. Anybody ever seen this thing here? This is in Mecca, and it's called the Kaaba, Kaaba. And all of these Muslims go there, and they go around and around this thing, and guess what's inside of that box? A spring. It's the spring, supposedly, where Hagar sat and cried, and the angel of the Lord came to her, okay? I don't know if you, some people haven't seen this before. Okay, yeah, you have or you have not. So it's kind of interesting. So they have this whole other narrative that, you know, Ishmael is, in fact, the real heir to Abram. Just shows how bad things can get when we try to help out God. And I'm thinking about when you get to the prophecies that God himself declares about Ishmael. Wow, are we seeing that today? That's all I've got to say at this second. But anyway, she is considered in, in Hebrew, in uh, Arabic, she's called Ha'ajar, all right? And she's considered the mother of Islam. So we can see that from this, if you read that there, we're going to see from the dialogue also that, um, that God is, loves not only the Jews, because Hagar is an Egyptian, but we can find places in other scriptures that he loves everybody. I thought that was interesting. I found a scripture where he says he loves the Ethiopians. 
He's guided the Assyrians. He guides the Philistines. And they have all been guided like he has guided the children of Israel. Here, we'll look at that scripture just to show you. Amos 9, 7. God is at work in all peoples. In other words, God doesn't just have his will being worked out there in Israel. He says, are you not like the people of Ethiopia to me, O children of Israel? So he's saying, I love the Ethiopians too. I've got something planned for the Ethiopians as well. O children of Israel, says the Lord. Did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt? And he's brought up the Philistines from Kaftor. So God is even directing uh, the events that go on with the Philistines and the Syrians from Kir. I just thought that was interesting. This is something that Dennis Prager points out in his commentary that he said, and, and Dennis Prager is a Jew, and he says, God doesn't just love the Jews. God loves all the people of the world, and he directs the people of the world, and he directs events. And he uses them. We know he used Nebuchadnezzar as well. She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Okay? And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress. Submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. Because you're going to have so many kids, they're going to be innumerable. They will not able to even be counted. That's what the angel of the Lord said to her. So I think it's interesting that God tells Hagar to return to her mistress. And I contemplated and I thought about that for a while. And I thought about the fact that she's very open to God handling this situation because she's really kind of powerless. Y'all ever been in a powerless situation? You have been, but you don't realize it. We think that we have the power, don't we? That we have the control. And the next thing we know, an illness hits and we have no control over anything, do we? Not at all. And she understood and she's very open for God to handle the situation. In fact, she says, you're going to have so many descendants from this child that they will not be able to be counted. I just kind of see Hagar as the real victim in the story as I read it. And I always look at this. Any scripture, I think, God, what would you have us learn from this odd story today? And we're going to have some big ideas that we take away. But when we find ourselves in a difficult situation, and I thought about back when I had difficult times in my business, Boy, I pray that God would change the circumstances. I prayed that he would change the hearts of the other people that were doing me wrong. But it was real hard for me to stop and realize that maybe God was trying to do a work in me. So I think God is doing a work in Hagar along with everybody else. All right? It's often the side issue, and I'm not telling you that you should sit and take abusive conduct from others. Actually, I've counseled some that had been in this room before, even that, you know, God did not make you with welcome, like a, like a welcome mat where you have welcome spelled across your chest. We're not to take abuse, but when we're in a situation where we have no power over the situation, stop if you can and say, God, what would you teach me? What do I need to learn from my heart? And I think back on the things that happened to me, and I've told uh, a young man living there at McMullen Ranch right now that he just can't imagine the hardships that Sandy and I have been through. And I don't want to get up here and say, woe are we and woe is me and woe is us. But we all go through very, very difficult situations. We go through the loss of a child or a grandchild. We go through the loss of a spouse. 
We go through all of these things. It, it just life is not easy really for any of us. We had the idea that for those people it's easy, but for me it isn't. Guys, it's not easy for anybody. And in those situations where you have no control over the situation, you say, Lord, do work in me first. And then, yes, work in the hearts of these others that are doing these things to me. Change their hearts, Lord. And I've seen hearts changed. But along with those hearts being changed, I want to tell you, I saw my own heart changed. So when we're open to God doing a work in us, then maybe it, it sets things loose where he can do a work in others that are treating us wrongly. Let me continue there with the prophecy. There's Hagar and Ishmael. You can leave that up for a minute, uh, Matt, as I'm, uh, or you can, as I'm moving on. So behold, you are with child, she says, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, and Shema in Hebrew means to hear, right? And it means that God hears, because the Lord has heard your affliction. Now listen to this. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. Wow, what a legacy. Don't we see that today? I'm here to tell you that what we see going on today with the sons of Ishmael is that they are not only a boil on the backside of Israel, they are a boil on the backside of the entire world. Every society where Muslims come in and get any kind of a toehold, and I'm not saying this to bash Muslims, but I'm, this is just, these are statistics. They get in and they try, it's reality. They get in and try to take over. And the next thing you know, they want to subject everybody to Sharia law. Those, my friends, are the sons of Ishmael. They have their hand against all and every man's hand is against them. She calls him this wild man. And it reminds me, I was reading in my personal reading, maybe last week about Jacob blessing his sons. Have y'all ever gone and read that? You think, wow, this is crazy. I wouldn't want to bless my kids this way. He gets to Isaacar and he says, Isaacar is a raw bone donkey lying down among the sheep pens. <laughs> what is a wild jaw or jaw bone or raw bone donkey? Y'all ever met somebody that's like a wild donkey? The Lord, I have. I've met these wild donkeys. They are stubborn. They don't want to hear reason from anybody. They stir up trouble. They're instigators. They're just a problem. And that is the kind of person that Ishmael is going to be. Stop laughing because Tim thinks he knows who I'm talking about. I'm talking about a lot of people, Tim, that I've seen before. Boy, if this isn't being lived out in the Middle East today, the sons of Ishmael were born out of Abram and Sarah trying to help out God and make things their own way. Wouldn't it have been better if they had just left it alone? Just left it alone and let God do what he wanted to do through the birth of Isaac? Chapter 10, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 13, it's slide 10. There we go. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. She called him, you are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who observes me? Therefore, the well was called Be'er Lahai Roi. Observe that it is between Kadesh and Bered. Now, I don't know if this is true. We had a discussion about it in our home. I'll just leave it at that. But Dennis Prager says that this is the only place in the Old Testament where a person gives God a name. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what he says. And maybe in the whole Bible. And I think it's kind of interesting because when people go to name other people 
or name anything in the Old Testament, there was a, a bit of a taking on of authority to do that. So, but anyway, she firstly names God this and says, you've seen me. She says, you are El Roi. And it's translated, you are the God who sees me. But some commentators say this, and I think this is super interesting. Have I not gone seeing after he saw me? In other words, God, knowing that God is seeing me, gives me what I need to keep moving on and to look forward. That's exactly how it is in my life. When I know that God sees my pain and he sees my heart's trouble, I love the song we sang today about uh, he knows my name, right? Can't find it here. But it says he sees each tear that I cry. Not only does he see them, in Psalm 56, 8, David wrote, you have kept count of my tossings. You have put my tears in a bottle. So God does hear our pain. He hears the hurt in our heart. God knows every sorrow that we go through. And it's just hard to remember that he knows all that. And so it helps me when I'm going through something. Say, God, I'm going to trust that you hear me. And because you hear me and see me, Lord, I'm going to trust that I got what I need to see and look forward to moving on, just like Hagar said. Verse 15. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son. He named him Ishmael, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. So Hagar bears Abram a son. He was the father of many peoples, and unfortunately, he was a wild donkey. And he's still a wild donkey. And he would be odds at all men, with all men, and he is at odds with all men. Wow, what a mess. What a mess we have because Abram and Sarai couldn't trust that God is who he says he is, Travis, and that he would do what he says he'll do. That's Travis's definition of faith. I love it. When we have faith, we believe that God is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he'll do. It all happened when in a moment of weakness, they doubted that God knew what was going on, that God would fulfill their promise, all right? And Abraham slipped, and he failed. This is the same Abram that was taken outside of the tent. Think about this. Who looked up at the stars, and it says, and he believed in God, and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. I want to point this out because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we fail too. And yet, when Abram failed, hear me out now, he could not nullify the promises of God. This is a big deal. It's a big deal in our lives when we think that we've sinned so badly or done something so wrong that somehow God can't fulfill the promises that he's given us about salvation, all right? Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, there is none righteous, no, not one, and that includes us. God works through ways that are beyond our human perspective. He sees things that we can't see, all right? He sees the end of your life right now. He saw the beginning of your life. He sees right where you are, and he has a plan, a purpose, and a place for everyone in the room. It's crazy to think that Abram could be a father at 86, but it's even crazier to think he's going to be one at 99. I mean, that's crazy, all right? But God fulfills his promises. God did not promise Abram a son based on Abram's virility or on human conditions. God promised Abram a son because God promised Abraham a son. 
and he made a covenant with him, and God walked it alone. That, my friends, is a display. That's L. Roe there. That is a display of God's grace on display. I bring up the whole grace thing here because it's totally applicable. All right? You remember when Jesus met the rich young ruler, and the rich young ruler says, what must I do to be saved? Remember, he wants to know, hey, I've done all this stuff. What, what else do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus gives him this big, long list, and his, this, Jesus' disciples go, wow, this is impossible. Who can do this? There's a nugget of truth we get in the words that Jesus spoke. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, "Then who then can be saved? Look at this. But Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you today that with God, all is possible. We are not hamstrung and locked into the impossible because we walk by faith and not by sight. When Sandy and I have gotten into what seem like unsolvable problems, and I know probably, Scott, you and Diana too, in all of the business ventures you have been, you might end up saying, how and when and why did this all happen? And then you don't realize that it's happening, but it works itself out. With us, things work themselves out in a way that was more beautiful than we could imagine. They really, really do. If we can just have faith that all things work together for God, are all things work together for good for those that love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. If we can believe that promise of God, even when we've got a problem with our arteries, even when we lose a spouse, whatever comes our way with God, nothing is impossible. We have to say to ourselves, self, with God, nothing's impossible. Scott knows why I'm saying that. That's how my dad used to say we also learn from this story that God works his purposes out in spite, not because of, in spite of our misguided human efforts. It's hard sometimes to distinguish what does God want me to do? What does God not want me to do? And that's where prayer and the Holy Spirit and study of the word illuminates our minds. It leads our hearts to do what we're supposed to do. Sarah had misguided efforts. She was wrong to offer her handmaid. Abram was wrong to take her. Sarah was wrong to mistreat Hagar. And Abram was wrong to turn his back on Hagar. But in spite of their failings, God blessed Hagar and she made promises to her. God is working his purposes out in spite of humans persistently and continually trying to get in his way. So as we move out of here today, I want you to sub just subject each day, each moment to the will of God. If Sandy and I pray about nothing else, we join hands for 30 seconds each morning and say, God, just direct us. Direct us today to do what you would have us to do so we just don't waste time with this precious day that you've given us, this precious day of our life. There may never, may, there may never be another day, right? And then, as I said before, Paul talks about an illustration with all of this. This is from Galatians. For it is written that Abraham had two sons. One is Ishmael. One's going to be Isaac. One was by a slave woman, and one is by a free woman. We're going to see here what Paul's doing is contrasting the covenants that we're under, okay? But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. How was the son of the slave born according to the flesh? Because it was through the efforts 
of Abram and Sarah, right? Now listen what, what the contrast is. While the son of the free woman, we're talking about Sarah, was born through promise, the promises of God. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. So Paul uses this to show us that we have a new covenant based on grace. The old covenant was based on stuff you did, okay? At least in terms of, of having forgiveness of sins. And Paul argued that when Abram tried to work out God's promises through his own efforts, the children from that were nothing more than slaves. We were slaves under the law, amen? He was producing works of the flesh, but when Abram relied on the promises of God, which he'll do when he's 99, God delivered the works of the Spirit. God delivered through the works of the Spirit. Paul says that believers in Jesus are like the children born to Sarah. We're free children. We're free in the Lord, all right? We're free in grace. Those who are born under the law are those that try to do it on their own. That's the sons of Ishmael. I think it's just kind of interesting that, 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 yeah, exactly. This is a, a real uh, interesting application by Paul of what he saw there in the Torah. So what's the big idea today? I think there's three ideas here in the text. God doesn't need our help. Say it again. God does not need our help. What he needs is our submission. Told Destiny month, months ago when I met her, I said, we don't need more of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit needs more of us. We can't get any more. We got saved and Holy Spirit came down and zapped into us and filled us. We need to submit ourselves and walk in the Spirit. That's what we do. Secondly, we cannot be saved by our own efforts. Abram made a mess of things when he tried to do it on his own. All right? They got out there, and they did this, and they strategized, and they did that. I guess they held a meeting. We can't be saved through human effort. We are only saved by grace, and it is not something that we can work out or do. And lastly, a favorism. Believe me, y'all, it is such a relief when you realize that you're not God. What a relief that is. So this week, take those truths with you. Be relieved that you're not God. You don't have to work it all out. And submit each day. Say, Lord, I'm going to submit today to your will. Lord, let me walk in your will. Let me walk by your spirit. And all of God's people said, amen. amen.